Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Good evening. Let me have my welcome. My name's Phil. I'm the associate vicar here. And it's lovely to have you with us for our carol service. And you all sound in fabulous voice, I have to say. Um, well done, you. Now, Christmas, it seems to me, feels uh, pretty predictable. No one was shocked, I suspect, by any of the carols we've sung this, this evening. You knew what the carols were going to be. You knew what the readings would be. Christmas is predictable. Every year, the same thing pretty much happens. Every year... The decorations go up in the shops shortly after the August bank holiday. Every year, one of the newspapers predicts the coldest winter on record, a new ice age. Usually it's the Daily Express, and every year, come Christmas Day, it's kind of warmish and raining. Every year, another of the newspapers prints its annual Vicar Tells Shocked School Children Santa Doesn't Exist story. Usually that's the Daily Mail. And every year... Every year, some B-list pop stars gather together to make a charity re-release of a Christmas hit to save the children or the whales or give them the rising sea levels to save the children from the whales maybe this year. <laughs> Every year, we order more and more of our presents, we're told, online. Do you know how much we're going to spend this year? They estimate this year in the UK, we will spend on Christmas 85 billion 
and 31 billion of it will be online. And yet every year, Amazon doesn't make quite enough to pay any tax. Um, <laughs> anyway, enough, enough of the... Every year, the same stuff happens. Every year, there's a nativity play for your children, and they dress up as <clears throat> shepherds and wise men and Mary and Buzz Lightyear and Elsa from Frozen. It's, it's entirely predictable. Apart from Lad Baby not being at number one this year, we know what's going to happen at Christmas. I think, actually, that's partly why we look forward to it. We like the mix of meaningful and Mariah that we know is, is going to come to us in December. We love it. We look forward to it in all, its, in all its schmaltz and nonsense. It's fantastic. But I want us to spend a few minutes tonight looking more carefully under the surface at the true message of Christmas. And I think what we find as we look is that it is unexpected. It is surprising. When you get behind the familiarity, you find a shocking, a mystifying event. And what I really want to show you as we look briefly at the the reading we've just had is that the Jesus at the heart of Christmas is not what most of us have expected, but he is far, far better than any of us could have imagined. Now, the reading is uh, it's from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke's carefully researched account of the birth of Jesus begins, as you'd expect any history of a significant figure to begin. He locates the events at the time and the place in history. So we know it's between 6 and 4 BC, and it's at the far eastern end of the Roman Empire in a little city, a little town, sorry, called Bethlehem. But suddenly, the historical account takes a turn for the supernatural as an angel appears in blazing glory to some shepherds who are minding their business in the hills outside Bethlehem. We read verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, there is one detail here that it seems to me is often overlooked, which is why on earth the shepherds? Why the shepherds? I mean, you can understand that the the appearance of an angelic messenger in blazing heavenly glory receives a little bit more attention. That's the thing you're going to lead with on the news, surely. But why does the angel appear to, of all people, shepherds? Well, the answer, if you were concentrating and haven't had any mulled wine this afternoon, you may have noticed that there was a name who doesn't appear in the story but is repeated three times in the reading we just had. Three times Luke mentions somebody who's not part of the Christmas story, David. We say, Joseph went to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the line of David. And then the angel announces today in the town of David. Okay, why on earth does Luke stress the name of David? He'd ruled a thousand years before and was Israel's greatest king. Well, David had not been born a prince. He'd been a young shepherd when God called him and put him on the throne. And so it is now to a bunch of shepherds that the news is given that a baby from an even more unlikely background is going to be put on the throne. And has been born in David's town, in David's line, to reign on David's throne. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you, the Messiah, the Lord. 
Now, the Old Testament was full of prophecies about a great king, a Messiah, promised king, that's what it means, anointed promised king, who would come from the line of David and reign forever over God's people. It was a surprise a thousand years before, a huge surprise, that God's choice of king to lead Israel was tending sheep in a field. It is a much greater shock to the shepherds and everybody else to find that God's final king, the Messiah, is lying in a manger, a cattle's feeding trough. That's not where kings should be. It's a shock the shepherds will find him in a feeding trough. And actually, it is a shock that he's come from Nazareth. They've traveled 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. You do not expect a king to be born, to put it bluntly, in a culture like this, to a single mother from a shabby northern town like Nazareth, far from the capital, and as we see later on, just despised by the metropolitan elite. I'm sure we can all think of British equivalent cities. I'm not one in favor of getting lynched, so I'm not going to suggest the names of any cities. But should you want to know, there is a book that lists the grottiest towns in the UK by popular vote. I think we've got the, uh, the image of it, possibly, if I've been allowed to put it up. There you go. Um, <laughs> this is a genuine book. Uh, wonderfully, the same great public that voted the name of Boaty McBoatface for, um, for, for the, the Arctic expedition ship, they messed with the voting of this as well. So if you look in the latest edition... And it's all just done by uh, the great British public voting. In the latest edition, because of our, our perverse inability to do anything properly, number three of the third most miserable place to live in the whole UK is the Cotswold Idol of Chipping Norton. Marvellous. <laughs> David Cameron must hate that. And first place goes to London. Well done, us. <laughs> but... The thing is, you just don't expect, we probably don't realize how weird this is. Nazareth is not a place for a king. And mangers are not places where kings are laid to rest when they're born. The next shock is the, the second title the angel gives the baby Jesus, Lord. Now, Lord is the title for God in the Bible. Lord Almighty is God. In other words, it's not just royalty in the feeding trough. It's divinity. Put it this way, where do you look in this world if you want a glimpse of God? If you, if you want to connect with the divine, where do you go? What do you look at? What do you think of? The awe-inspiring galaxies of the vast cosmos, perhaps. Or maybe it's the grandeur of the world that we call home. Well, the mind-boggling answer of the Bible is that the clearest revelation of God is found in Jesus. The baby in the manger is God in human flesh. If you had been with the shepherds and peered into that manger, if you'd allowed that little baby to wrap its minute fist around one of your fingers, you would have been touching the uncreated creator of the universe. I mean, in common with every other baby, what you would have seen is, well, as a newborn, it would have looked a bit like Winston Churchill, Middle Eastern Winston Churchill. I mean, this is like every other newborn baby. There would have been no heavenly glow, no divine halo, just a screaming baby. And yet, and yet this is God Almighty. 
Now, familiarity breeds contempt, but this is the greatest miracle of all. Forget turning water into wine or raising the dead. For the uncreated creator of the cosmos to tear open the fabric of reality and enter into his world and to unite himself with a human body, to become human. Well, we cannot pretend we can get our heads around that. It is awe-inspiring. And the rest of Jesus' life fits this pattern of just way beyond anything we might have imagined. It is not what we expect, and it's better than we could have imagined. He is the great king, and yet what does he do? He spends the vast majority of his time living far, far away from the capital and the places of power. He focuses his time on the poor, the weak, the exploited, the failures, the chronically ill, the hopeless. He chooses as his leaders a ragtag bunch of of fishermen, tax collectors, and a dishonest thief who will betray him. He never attempts to take political power, and when the people try to make him king, he refuses and walks away. And then he dies a barbaric death at the hands of the Romans while still only 33. And at that point, as he dies on a hill outside Jerusalem, you can count on the fingers of one hand the loyal followers who are still with him. And one of them is his mum. Socially, he led the most inclusive movement in history. But politically, it was completely insignificant. And yet, no human has had such an impact on all of history. The historian Tom Holland calls the Jesus movement the most disruptive, the most influential, and the most enduring revolution in all history. And in his book, Dominion, he cashes this out a bit. He demonstrates, look, the fact that we think there is something wrong with the way Harvey Weinstein and Andrew Tate treat women, the fact that we think it's appalling that people enslave each other, especially just because they're from a different race, the fact that we think that the poor, the sick, the disabled, the vulnerable should be cared for rather than exploited or discarded, those things... Those things are a result of the Jesus revolution. They are a result of the change he brought to the world. And this pattern of of the unexpected reaches its climax in his death. The saviour of the world, the great king, the Lord God in human flesh was spat on, beaten to a pulp and tortured to death as he hung in naked shame and agony on a cross. But that too turned out not to be his defeat, but his victory. How so? Because because he died to pay for our wrongdoing, to absorb our judgment. He died a death in history so that you and I would not face eternal death. He swallowed death so that you and I might taste life. The man who ruled no territory, led no army, and left no work of art, transformed our world such that we divide time by before he came and after he came. His birth, his life, his death, none of it is, is what you would expect. None of it is quite as it seemed. But the impact has been more wonderful than any of even his most zealous followers could possibly have imagined. Wonderful, but so what? I mean, seriously. Uh, nice to, perhaps to hear a little bit of the history about Jesus, but so what? Well, I think many of us, we, we struggle to get past um, a king's speech view of Jesus. You know, yep, okay, I cannot imagine Christmas without him. 
Uh, he adds a bit of tradition, a cute focus for the nativity, a bit of magic. But he has no bearing on the rest of life. Well, I want to suggest that that's usually because we haven't realized who Jesus really is. Uh, we think he's irrelevant. But the true Jesus deals with the greatest issues of human existence. Our search for meaning. Our longings for justice. For peace. For hope in the, in the face of suffering. And an answer to death. All of those are found in Jesus. We think he's, he's come to gather good people without the darkness that all of us who are honest know resides in our hearts. Well, the true Jesus came to forgive sinners like me and you. We think he's come to ruin our lives, to to suck the fun and the color out of everything. But the true Jesus came and turned water into wine and said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. We think he's divisive and narrow. But the true Jesus came to welcome everyone, black, white, Muslim, atheist, Buddhist, rich, poor, male, female, old, young, it doesn't matter. He came for everyone to give us forgiveness and to create out of that diverse humanity a new community with the highest expectations of love and grace the world has ever known. Unlike our society, in his society, no one is despised, no one is to be shut out. And I guess my charge to you this Christmas is, Uh, Do what the shepherds did at the end of our reading. Go and find out for yourself about Jesus. You you can't do that physically by traveling to Bethlehem. It's not a great time to be going there, to be honest. But he's no longer there. We now find him as we read about him in the Gospels. It's not been a great year for books about our current leaders, if we're honest. Uh, Rory Stewart's uh, Politics on the Edge, I've just read it. It reveals a toxic culture of institutional dysfunction at Westminster. Out of the blue, the account of Liz Truss's ascent, it reveals a a toxic party system in which true talent is unlikely to rise to the top. Uh, Theresa May's abuse of power reveals a toxic system of self-serving elites, of cover-ups and injustice. And Nadine Dorries, the plot, reveals toxic substance abuse by the author, I think, from what what it says. Um, Look, I've no idea if any of those books are on your Christmas list. I suspect most of us will read some of them, um, looking out at you lot tonight. But we as a church want to give you one book tonight as an early Christmas present. Uh, In the little bag in front of you, as well as a chocolate, is a copy of Luke's Gospel. We've been looking at a very small section from Luke. And I urge you, take a couple of hours, as long as it will take to watch Love Actually yet again, And read instead the life of Jesus Christ this Christmas. Read of the offer of forgiveness that he makes to each of us. Now to add incentive to to your reading, I'm going to make a promise on behalf of church family. If you read it, and it's paperback, and in one sense, not disposable, but it's paperback so you can scribble all over it. If you read it and scribble all your questions and surprises as you go through, then whoever it was who invited you tonight, they promised to you, I'm telling you with great authority, and because it's so bright, I can't see the shaking heads, they promised to you that they will take you out for dinner or drinks in January, depending on how skint they are, uh, to discuss all your questions, uh, answer all your questions and, and discuss your thoughts about it. So there you go. There's your incentive. Church family, um, I can run quicker than most of you, so I'll, <laughs> uh, especially when you're angry. Um, they would be delighted, I guarantee it. Ask the person who invited you.
But why not read it? Why not find out if the reason that we're still singing 2,000 years later is because Jesus really does have the answers to life and the source of the joy that we all want to live with? God's word to you this Christmas is the same as the unexpected and wondrous message the angel spoke all those years ago. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. A saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And that Jesus is alive today, and today he offers you forgiveness, eternal life, and a relationship with God. And because God sent Jesus to be born at Bethlehem, I can say to each and every one of you, very Merry Christmas to you all. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you that in the Lord Jesus we find a life unlike anything we would have expected, but also a life beyond anything we might possibly have dared to imagine. Thank you that in the Lord Jesus Christ you are reaching out to us with love and hope and forgiveness. I pray that whether we're familiar with these things or very new to them, that all of us would experience more of the joy that comes through Jesus Christ this Christmas. Amen.